Hey everyone, welcome back to Bad Associations Podcast. Today we're going to be hearing Renee's story. Renee tells the story of leaving the cult twice, why she left the first time and why she stayed gone after the second. I love her sassy personality. I love how she advocated for herself and was not afraid to step on some toes on the way out the door. And as with so many of the guests that joined this podcast, after talking to her, I felt so much better about my own story and felt like, wow, I wasn't the only one that questioned so many things. I'm sure you'll agree after hearing this episode that without even meeting her in person, I can just tell that she's so smart, she's so strong, and such a great person to talk to. I hope you enjoy. So the question that I always start off with is, can you tell me about the first time you started questioning the faith? Yes, and probably as with many former JWs, this is not necessarily a straightforward answer. There's several, several points in my life where there were so many things I questioned and didn't agree with, but it actually wasn't until I had disassociated myself and two years after then that I finally in the terminology that I know now is woke up. So even though there were so many things I didn't agree with and um, just, I went along with so many things, even though I could see how illogical it was, I excused so much because from the time I was born, I was told this is the truth. So I'll just, maybe I'll just sort of run through the story um, a little bit if that's helpful. Yeah, so, right up. Um, so yes, born in um, Jehovah's Witness, um, my my mother and, and I have an older brother. Um, we were mainly raised by um, our mother. So my my dad was a witness, but only temporarily, really, probably to marry mum. And then um, he was yeah he, he he's a trucker. He's not going to turn up to meetings in his shirt and tie, you know. Um, so right. he was, yeah, he was only a witness for a short time, but his parents were witnesses and my mum's parents were witnesses. So there's three generations on of witnesses on my mum's side and four on my dad's. So it goes right back to like the great grandparents for me. Um, so yeah, so we were, when, when mum and dad split, when we were young, uh, we were raised by my mum and she was very, very much um, swallowing everything the religion gave hook, line and sinker. So she brought up my brother and I by, you know, the, the tried and tested formula, you, the meetings, witnessing, family study, all of that. And basically by the time we got to teenagers, we were both, we weren't having any of it. You know, we had just had enough. So my brother left home when I was about 12 and then. What's your point, age difference? Only two years. Oh, okay. So he, he was 14 when he left and went to go and live with my dad. Um, and he hadn't been going to meetings for some time. And at around about that age, that's when I, so it was first year high school. And I was, I just said, I'm not doing witnessing anymore. There's, I'm not going out. There is no way I'm. So mum was able to handle that. Um, but then uh, there was a, a time I was in sort of year eight at this point, I was about 14 and I just simply refused to go to the meeting. At, at this point, it was more of a re teenage rebellion, wanting to fit in. I found the meetings incredibly boring, as you do. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> just this monotonous, tedious treadmill that you're on. And yeah. um, so that was more of my reasoning for it. And then, um, yeah, I, it wasn't much longer after that. Then things kind of blew up at home a little bit and I ended up um, 
leaving home uh, in air quotes because <laughs> I was not in the I was not wanting to be part of the religion and then my brother and I he came back to stay for a little bit and we were getting into some mischief um, smoking a bit of pot out the front um, in my brother's Ford XC and the neighbours dog was in to my mum and so then things went from bad to worse and I ended up in in a state-run home for girls for a while. Oh right. Best thing that could have happened though sort of helped me grow up standing on my own two feet I didn't have to have anything to do with the religion love that and then for the next sort of almost 10 years 12 years I just lived my life I, I traveled I, I was probably more 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 worldly um than than my worldly friends probably because I'd been wow. brought up so strictly you know so once the once Delish. you let go exactly yeah so I worked in pubs worked with gambling gaming like I didn't do that myself but I worked with it um, loved loved it had a lot of fun um dated out or biker for a while um I was still dating him actually when I started studying with the witnesses <laughs> yeah okay was <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like mid-20s so I'd, I'd lived you know I'd, I've done lots of study lots of travel lots of living I guess but I was still feeling like because you know you, you've been told from the time you're born this is the truth and right. I was yeah mid-20s and I'm thinking um something's missing I feel like I need that that higher cause that and so of course you for me it was a no-brainer in that I turned back to the religion that I'd left because I didn't necessarily That's what you it. know exactly I didn't leave it for doctrinal reasons I left because I was a rebellious teenager um, but at this point I was also studying at university so I started studying with the witnesses at the same time I started going back I, I started at uni and there were so many things I, I still remember now studying with um, this sister who had who, who was studying with me and her saying that only witnesses will survive Armageddon and I just I just looked at her in disbelief I'm like no way like the Bible says God's not partial as if he's only going to say witnesses I just <laughs> right so specific it's, it doesn't seem realistic <laughs> exactly and there were so many things I just thought just didn't add up I didn't understand their viewpoints on like why were they so against education because surely they would want their members to have good jobs to give them more money basically right. if yeah you know um, to have more time to be able to peddle all their literature, whatever. Um, so I, I still excused a lot of things, thinking it's the truth, you know, and I had family members who were witnesses, uh, my grandparents, my mum. And yeah, so I, after two years, I broke up with my boyfriend at the time um, wow. and got back to it. Did you at any point try to like bring him in with you? And he oh, just God. wasn't having it or? Oh, no, it wasn't even a consideration. Um, he, he was an outlaw biker. Like, there is no way. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so I was kind of at this point where I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's a bit godly on, on one hand and looking yeah. at totally, and it was like, no, I've got to make a decision here. Which way yeah, am I Polar going? opposites. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I broke up with him a couple of months later, got baptised, and I remember, like, I listened to your... Um, your 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 story that you've um, published on on your podcast. I listened to that the other day, and and I remember kind of like I didn't break down after 
the baptism, but I remember also this feeling of just surreal, like, you know, almost what have I done? Mm. Um, but then I also just found it a bit odd that people are coming up and congratulating me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I've only just started. I could, you know, I could bugger up tomorrow and be gone and you're all going to hate me. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's also, you also, uh, from going back and to baptism, it only was a few months? No, it was two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. So I was, yeah, it was about 26 when I started studying and going back to uni at the same time. And then two years after that, so it was two years worth of study uh, and then getting baptized. Uh, but in some ways I only got baptized, so I didn't have to have a study anymore. I just found them so boring. Wow. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I was excusing so much. It's the truth. But so once I got baptized and so everyone had to kind of, sorry if I'm jumping all over the place, I actually haven't ever told my story. So I, I do apologize if I'm jumping. Yeah, I read, I read it on your website, which we'll definitely have to talk about because that's where so many of my questions come from or your blogs. But, um, you, yeah, I noticed you you had mentioned that you had left twice, basically. It was, it's. Once in, like, to your point, you're saying, like, when you were younger, it wasn't, oh, I don't believe this this foolishness. It was more of, like, I'm young and I want to be young and I want to be a kid. But exactly. then you go back in. So you, when you went back in and so you got baptized to kind of, like, be done with studying, at that point, were you into it? Did you believe it? Yes, absolutely. There was every, I, I believed it. There were so many things that I didn't agree with, but I excused it all because it was the truth. So I could see a lot of, like, I didn't actually understand why. Um, so I saw already mentioned about the, the witnesses surviving Armageddon. I just, I couldn't, I, I, did, I couldn't understand that. Never agreed with it the whole time I was in. Disfellowshipping, never understood that. Felt it was totally unscriptural. I never shunned anyone. I even used to have discussion. I, I used to bowl on up to disfellowship people in the hall, and then the elders would tell me off about it afterwards because yeah. I just thought, I just didn't, I didn't give a shit. I'm like, no, they're, they're like who cares? Yeah, they know? just made a different decision on one or two things than everybody else did. That's all. Exactly. Um, the education thing I've mentioned, witnessing. I also couldn't understand the pressure to go witnessing because it's like you've just said God knows everyone's heart condition. Well, if that's the case, why do we need to be out knocking on doors? Like he's gonna, at the end of times, he's gonna know everyone's course of life. He's gonna be able to make an informed judgment. We don't need to be out there plugging this yeah. stuff. I always um, felt like if, to, on the same point of God reads all of our hearts and like the same way, you know, Jehovah supposedly brought me and my family here. If, you know, my next door neighbor or my schoolmates or whoever is meant to be here, he's you know omnipresent he should be able to bring them here on his own why do i have to go bother people at their house in the middle of them eating dinner and convince yeah. them to come to this building like it just seemed it's even as a kid i thought well shouldn't god be doing that on his own exactly and i remember even saying to the elders you know why do you even bother with this stuff i was quite direct <laughs> love it and i look back now and i think gosh no wonder i wasn't invited to many of these <laughs> That's exactly why. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and they'd say, oh, because if we didn't put the pressure on, nothing would get done. And I saw red flags even then thinking, well, that's an unusual reason. Like, shouldn't it be? Yeah. Because that can't be right. <laughs> and the, the pressure for meetings, it was literally only based on one scripture. And it's like, 
this, this whole structure of meetings uh, at that time, I think... Monopolizing your whole week for one scripture. For one scripture and paradise as well. And when I read the, the and there's only two or three scriptures that even mention paradise. Wow, and, really? Yeah, there's only a couple. And I remember thinking then, this is a very tenuous link between this. They're basing this whole paradise teaching on just a couple of scriptures. And I don't really, when you read them in context, it's like, is that what they're really talking about? Mm. I don't know. I, mean, I haven't thought of this for a long time. I'd have to go back and reread it. But I feel one. like multiple things in the Bible that the Jehovah's Witness organization make really black and white and cron- or in, um, in concrete. Yeah. I've always thought, how do we know they meant it literally and not exactly. figuratively or just like as a imagery maybe or some you know like how do we know they meant that like to the t exactly and you weren't there it, it sort of uh, goes into another thing i could never understand was this whole two fulfillments thing of prophecies there was mm. no evidence in the bible about there being a secondary fulfillment and i, I just like yeah. where did you get this from and i I would use the Watchtower Library to try and research this stuff because I was at uni, oh. I was research, you know, and it's yeah. like, I'd just get to these dead ends and I'd be like, well, I just, anyway, even still, I excused so much of that and the whole this generation overlapping thing. Like when, when that came out, I remember being out witnessing and this elder and this sister were talking about the whole overlapping generation, new teaching that had just come out. And I looked at them and I said, why are you guys even bothering? Like, aren't we not meant to know the day and the hour? Like, yeah. you guys are trying to put a time on this. The Bible says we're not meant to. I just, why are you guys even trying to pin this down? Surely you're in the religion to serve God either until you die or until Armageddon comes. Like, what's it matter? Like, yeah, I was, the end. yeah, exactly. I, I found that my motives were very different to the people who were actually many, to, to many um, other people who were in the religion uh they they were there to do their sort of tick box spirituality you know i've done my meetings i've done my witnessing and therefore i am virtuous um mm-hmm. it, it was it was all about how things looked you know like the times i got told off told it talking to to disfellowship people and i would reason with the others and say well you know i just i don't actually think that that's the right way to to to, to treat people and I said uh, there was one time where it was um, a childhood friend who I hadn't seen for years and I'd been out she'd been out and then she came back and I was in at this point and she was disfellowshipped for coming back in and I just bowled straight on up to her I hadn't seen her for nearly 20 years as if I'm going to ignore her yeah. and I said and, and then this elder said yes but don't do it here do it somewhere else and I said yes, so <laughs> does it make any sense does it make any sense yeah. He said, it, it's, it's, you're setting an example. It's how things look. I'm like, so it's all about how things look, is it? So if I, I was doing it. it behind closed doors, I would be shamed for keeping it a secret. But because I'm doing it openly, because I don't feel like I'm doing something wrong, I'm also being shamed. So exactly. it's this, yeah, double standard can't win. Um, yeah. And, and, and another thing that I just found totally ridiculous was I'd, I'd been in the world, so to speak, and I had lots of worldly friends. And Quite a few of them were male and I used to catch up with them. I had been friends with these people for years before becoming a baptised witness. And now, all of a sudden, I was not meant to be seen alone with these other male friends of mine. Yeah. I used to go out for lunch and dinner with, with, with a good friend of mine, um, still friends, and we live in different states now. But 
when I, I remember mentioning to a sister, oh, I went out with you know, a friend of mine for lunch the other day and she was just horrified that I had gone out one-on-one -on -one with a male friend. It's like I had been having platonic relationships, friendships with these men for, for years. years. <laughs> and now all of a sudden that I'm a baptised witness, I can't be trusted. Like, yeah, just, you can't contain yourself now because you yeah. got into some water apparently. I just found that ridiculous. So... But again, I excuse so much of it because it's the truth. I'm trying to please God. This is how things are. So I just, in many ways, I started to just not share a lot of my own thoughts and opinions. Mm -hmm. um, it, I just became, because, because I would just be judged. It was this constant judgment. And I remember being told a couple of times, one person even said to me, oh, you sound like an apostate, Renee. And I'm like, I had never even looked at an apostate website. They scared me. I was like... <gasps> What do you yeah. mean apostate? Are you serious? I realise now I sounded like an apostate because I was yeah. just talking reason. I was talking logic, you know. Yeah. To the example you used with the women that wanted to get like a date. Um, sometimes when I think back to like, I have similar memories of people asking those types of questions and me being like, what does it matter? Like, we're just doing this stupid little song and dance. Like, who cares? Um, but a part of me wonders if maybe that's a little bit of logic and um, a little that little voice in the back of your head that starts questioning things. If that was them doing that, because you're not really you're not really designed to ask those types of questions, because like you said, you can do all the research on you know JW.org and you'll hit a dead end at some point. I think that when you really are like, well, these things don't make sense. So what would the date be? Or if this if this person in the Bible said this, and why did this person later on say that? Those are all little questions in the back of your mind that are trying to, they're screaming like, wake up, this doesn't make sense. Wake up, wake up. And so I, I feel like I, I judge them a little less now when I think back, because I think even though they're still there, there's a little voice in there somewhere telling them this doesn't make any sense. And they just chalk it up to like faith. You just need to have faith. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was doing, you know, like there were things yeah. I didn't agree with, didn't understand, but it's like, it's the truth, it's it's what you have to do to please God, it's fine, just let it go, you don't have to agree with everything. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, and I used to have, I did have some good friends that I could have some chats like this with, a lot of the witnesses I couldn't, you know, but I did have a nice circle of friends that I could share some of this, and this, a lot of them were thinking similar things, um, but you know, you excuse a lot of it. And I just feel it shows the power of the indoctrination. At this point, you know, several years in, I had, uh, psychology was part of my university studies. Oh, great. Despite that, I still couldn't see so much of it. I saw, I saw things I didn't agree with, but I still excused it. And it just shows to me how strong that indoctrination is when they get you when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, or, or once you've sort of bought into it enough, but people make the assumption that cults or or cult-like things like MLMs and all that um, only happen to stupid, ignorant, gullible, weak, lonely people, and that's that's not the case. You can be really smart and really logical and and see things that don't make sense, and you're so bought in, like you said, that you're like, well have faith in Jehovah and really it's like all those things that you're saying like you're not doing it to please God at all it's really you're doing it to please an organization that has made these rules hmm. but for me my motivation was to please was God. God 
Yeah, yeah so so it keeps quite, you going. Yeah, I didn't care what people thought of me. I knew a lot of people thought I was a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but I was there thinking, I'm trying to please God. Like that, that was my motivation. And then when these people would say these ridiculous, illogical things to me, and I, I, I'd just be like, well, you know, so it's only about how things look. But God's going to see me talking to a disfellowship person, whether it happens in the hall or, or somewhere else. Like, it's my yeah. conscience that's telling me that this is fine. I don't care who sees it. And, you know, yeah. but for you guys, it's all about looks. It's all about you've got to get out witnessing, you've got to get out meetings. You could be a total prick, you know, at other times. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's fine, you know. And I, I just, yeah, you, you know, you can, the witnesses don't do anything in terms of charity. It's only about looking after their own. And like they totally don't get that whole thing about the, the good Samaritan, you know, or yeah. and they hardly really do that. Exactly. Yes. The, it's the focus is very much on getting people in, not even really looking after people once they are in. Right. in life. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of got to the point for me after. So I was a baptized witness because I didn't get baptized when I was fourteen. Like I was young, right. just rebelled, left. I was an unbaptized publisher at that point. But when I, yeah, so I got baptised after studying after those two years uh, in my 20s. I was a baptised witness for about seven years. But by the end of that time, I was almost like a shadow of my former self. Like I had uh, I'd moved states at this point and I had, I was not wanting to go to, I did go to meetings, but I did not want to talk to anyone. I was so, I sort of burnt out with it all and just t- so tired of the constant judgment so know, is that did that, that slowly I, sneak up on you or was that like an overnight thing that you didn't feel like yourself anymore oh i guess it snuck up you know it just happened from a series of you know because i'd changed congregations at one point and it, it happens after you've got you've had so many people you know just sort of n- thinking that you're a bit different you don't get invited to things you feel like you're there for the right motives trying to serve god but you you know you're 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 judged for the things you do or you say i was a single sister in my 30s as well by this point oh my god yeah people were very judge you know judgmental brothers would feel like they had the right to tell me what to do and i'm like off like this is my life you know yeah um, so I was just by the time when I moved states I was like just not wanting to engage with the witnesses at all I did not want them poking around in my life I did not want to associate with them I did not want their judgment I did not want to turn up to meetings because then they'd expect me to go witnessing yep I was just not wanting to have a bar of it and when I would go to the meetings I would sit there thinking how much of this can I not agree with and still be here? I feel like a hypocrite for even coming to a meeting because I don't agree with everything and I'm bored to tears sitting here going. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just, I was just literally hanging by a thread in that last 12 months. And it was at that point where I met the man who became my future husband. Oh. So at, when we met at work and I knew after several conversations, gosh, if this man ever asked me out, I'm going to be in trouble. Because the, the answer will be yes. yes. 
And what, another thing I used to really struggle with um, during my time as a witness, because I had seen what happens when marriages go wrong in the truth. Women oh. get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Women and men, but mostly women, they, you, you feel the pressure to get married and then there's no exit strategy that's allowed. And so you're just stuck there. And, and, and it's like the decision-making to get married in the first place in that organization is like, I'm sure there's some couples that truly get married because they do have a connection and they do love each other and they do have mutual goals for their future. But I don't think that's very common. And I don't think I've seen it very often. No, I think you're absolutely right. And so much of it is factoring in, you know, trying to find someone who's a good brother or whatever. Like, not And like you said, the the age, like the older you get, there's like this, oh my God, you're- Spinster. Spinster, yeah. It's like- Who cares? <laughs> if, if she doesn't care enough to settle for this guy, then why do I care? Exactly. But what I used to say when people would ask, because often, and I realize now why people would ask, because your status as a woman depends on who you've married. And so the reason people Ooh. would often ask me, are you married? Um, I understand now why they asked that, because I was trying to, they were trying to work out if I was an elder's wife or- Size you up. And I realize now that single sisters are kind of bottom of the pile. I didn't understand the whole hierarchy at that point. You know? Why have I never noticed? I mean, granted, I, I left at 22, so I mean, maybe it, it wasn't on my focus at that point, but you're right because there is no, you know, there's the elder circuit overseer and it's always just like elder's wife, circuit overseer's wife. There's no equivalent like position for a woman. Pioneer, that's minute, it. That's it. Yeah, going to Bethel maybe that I mean, but even then you're still just sister so and so at Bethel. You're not district overseer, you know. Yeah, wow. Ooh. Yeah. I got that, that detail. Yeah, and I, I didn't realize it at the time either. I just thought everyone was in trying to do the right thing. I just had no idea of all of this, you know, hierarchical crap that was going on. But um, what I used to say when people would say to me, "Are you married?" It was like a red rag to a ball to me because I had seen what happened to women who got trapped in unhappy marriages and they right. couldn't get stuck, even when the man had done the wrong thing, like slept her out or whatever. And I just said, well, no. And if I do get married, I'm probably not going to marry a witness. Wow. <laughs> Good that. for you. But wow, that's a very risky statement to make when you're in there. Several oh people gosh. never spoke to me again after I said that. but. Like I said, look, you know, I have seen what happens and there is no way out and I do not want to get trapped. So I would much prefer to marry a non-witness person and know that if things go wrong, I can get out. <laughs> yeah, you're not so, wrong. That's just yeah. a very, uh, very honest but risky statement to make. It was actually the first um, post I ever wrote up was the, um, the element of coercive control that makes Jehovah's Witnesses technically legally free and divorced, but according to the religion, they're not allowed to remarry. They are trapped in that if they do remarry or sleep with someone else, they're then, you know, doing the wrong thing by God and whatnot. So these people live these lives where they don't feel that they can move on and and have another person in their life because they can't get a scriptural divorce. That happened to my cousin. She couldn't, there was no way to prove that her husband who had disassociated well just became inactive basically but um had had a relationship with a a man but there was no way to prove that 
because obviously like who has a way to prove that their husband is now gay um and then she remarried in the truth but they both got disfellowshipped because technically she wasn't scripturally allowed to get married and then they had to work to get reinstated it's just heartbreaking i think the amount of destruction that particular combination of the whole two witness rule thing versus the only scriptural grounds for divorce thing and combine those two together yeah. how many people are either trapped or in really difficult situations like sorry did you say that was your cousin yeah it's my cousin yeah. it's just but it's like but all these like you said all the things that are the two witness rule are damn near impossible like whether it's sexual assault or it's proving your ex-husband is gay, whatever the situation may be, under what circumstance would you have another witness that, you know what I mean? Or, or photos or something in writing from the person you're trying to catch in their lie. Like, how would you have that? <laughs> like, it's, it's not funny, but it's a laughable rule because if you were being sexually assaulted by two and there were two people there, they're probably both your abusers. They're, so that one abuser is not going to tell on the other one. It just. <sighs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And that just to me, that just did not make sense that people are not allowed to move on with their lives without literally it's like 1950s. Like one, one of the my, my friends had to actually track down she had to take a friend, fly to a different state, spy on her ex-husband, get photos, and the friend that she took with her was the witness to say, yes, I've, um, seen, I've seen this man going into a house with another woman, so it was enough to then prove. But it's like... But why should you have to? <laughs> exactly. It's like, because literally back in the 1950s, I think, before the divorce laws became, you know, freer, people had to hire private yeah. detectives and so on. It's literally mm -hmm. so archaic. But, but anyways, yeah. you've met your husband. Yeah. So how did, how did that go with, was he aware that you were in this organization? Yeah, so what happened there is we met. I, I knew that if things went well, I would be willing to leave the religion. Because wow. at this point, I was like, there is nothing here. And honestly, I, I was feeling like I don't need this religion to have a relationship with God. I was actually at yeah. that point feeling so like, even if this even if this religion is the truth, I don't want to live this way. Mm -hmm. And I'm prepared to leave, die at Armageddon. I don't care. But mm -hmm. I'm, I don't feel that I need this religion to have a relationship with God. And I would, if this relationship with, with this new man that I've met goes well, I'm comfortable leaving. And so we dated for, it was about about a month and things were going well. And so I contacted the elders to give them a heads up and say, I arranged a meeting and said, look, I have met someone and I want to let you know in advance that if things continue to go well, I will be disassociating. Wow. And to me, the right thing to do was, if you meet someone, you leave before you do something you know, wrong yeah. in air um, because you don't want to break, you don't want to go against the so-called standards of being a witness while you're a witness knowingly, you know, or, yeah. or, or knowingly. So I could see what was happening and I thought, right, I will remove myself before, um, you know, anything happens that could be a disfellowship worthy thing. And so I gave the elders a heads up. We had a meeting, we talked it through their advice to me was and i'm planning to write about this one day 
um, don't disassociate, go ahead and do the wrong thing basically, and then come back to us and get disfellowshipped. Why would I do that? Exactly. One of the few regrets I have is not doing what you're saying. Like I should have just disassociated prior to, I should have had the conversation prior to doing anything that would have been uh, disfellowship worthy. And yeah. so why would you, it's almost like they were setting you up for failure. They wanted you to screw up. Exactly. And I just could not understand that. And I went back and I spoke to my husband and I said, you wouldn't believe what the elders said to me. So, so he knew right from day one, first date, I told him I'm a witness. Mm-hmm. And I said, but don't worry, I'm, I'm going to try and work out a, a way. I didn't know how at this point, because it was only first couple of you know dates in, we'd been chatting for a few weeks before our first date and I was getting mentally prepared for thinking I'm going to have to do something about this anyway so he knew right from almost the very very beginning that I was a witness he he had some dealings with the witnesses and he did he was a bit concerned about that but he felt that he could see enough in me to think that I think this is still worth giving this a go with this woman even though she's technically part of a religion (laughs) um but you were like one foot out the door anyways so pretty much but when I went and, and I said to my husband, like, not, not my boyfriend at the time, I said, I, I can't believe what the elders said. They said that I should just go ahead, do the wrong thing, and then go back to them and get this fellowship. Why would I do that? Why, why would I want to go back to them and have to confess my sins and have them no. poking around in my life and, and intimate details? And he said, you disassociating is threatening their control. He said, Renee, you're in a high control religion. Yes, I saw that on your website and I wrote that down of like, I want her to talk about high control religion because um, uh, because I've never heard that phrase, but I mean, based on the three words in it, I could uh, understand what it's about, but that's a spot on explanation or summary of that organization. Yes. And I was, I'd been in it all my, in and out, you know, all of my life. Yeah. It, it had dictated my entire worldview despite the fact that I'd had some years out and I yep. was like this was revelationary to 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 me to, to what do you mean high control religion really am I being controlled like is this why every detail of our lives yes. every single thing and I just I yeah I, I just I was flawed at that, that at that point and that things started to make sense and I was like right yeah well then they're not getting that satisfaction and so <laughs> <laughs> things things did continue to go well and a couple of months later you know um because my, my conscience my conscience needed to be clear I didn't care about the religion you know I was like well I need to leave this religion before you know um anything progresses further in our relationship and so I sent it was February sorry January 2017 I I called them the elders so I'm my husband and I had our first date in like November. We met in the October. So it was, you know, sort of three months later and, you know, things were going well. So, yeah, I um, I called, I t- either called or messaged one of the elders and I said, look, you know, things are going well, I'm, I'm going to disassociate. And they told me to put it in writing. And so I sent my email off January 2017. And I just remember feeling this r- relief that I could just be myself now, whatever the hell that was. Yeah. I didn't have to be not sharing the fact that I have a male friend and I've gone to lunch or I I can, I don't have to be 
judged for the fact that I have different thoughts and opinions. I don't have to be trying to make this the, the ridiculous contortions in this their scriptural reasoning make sense because it never made sense to me. And I, it was just this massive relief that I didn't have to even try now. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was done. And but despite all of that, I was still like, it's probably the truth, but I just can't live this way. And I am I am happy to die at Armageddon. This is just not me. It was two years after that when my brother, because over the years, my brother had sent me the odd, what I would think at the time was a postate video and I was too scared uh, to click on it. Yeah. Two years after that, he sent me a video that I did click on and it was XJW Critical Thinker. And he was talking about his three doctrinal reasons for leaving. You know, he was an elder, I think, at that point when he left. And I just, it was like, he, hearing my own reasoning in yeah. some ways coming back at me and I yeah. was like oh it's not just me <laughs> yeah so I was that that so this was t- January 2019 was when I actually woke up properly and realized the reason why I'd been struggling to make all of this make sense because it didn't make sense it was all lies <laughs> so yeah yeah, because you're trying to put pieces of the puzzle together that's like it's, it's not meant to be put together. It's they are making it up while they go along. So there's bound to be gaps in the story, gaps in the rules, and everything. And it's it's a weird um, contradiction of between they want to be so micromanaged, like or micromanage us, and everything is so black and white, and there's no compromising whatsoever. There's no gray area on everything. Everything is planned, like the high control. But at the same time, if you really, really dive into the teaching and the history and the rules, there's so much that's actually falls in between the gaps because it's like they're they're a little too distracted on micromanaging the followers and they they don't they haven't spent enough time getting their story together it's like a really bad book that someone like you're like well this characters we don't even hear how these characters end you have these main characters and they're gone it's it's very poorly planned it's just a money and control thing yeah i still struggle like defining my dare I say spiritual or religious stance because now I'm so scarred by it but I do agree that if if there is a god or god's plural I've always thought why do I need to be in this kingdom hall to have a connection with that person and I I do think um like what you said was kind of on my mind not just like when I left but year for years towards the end I kept thinking whatever whether this god exists or not that's between me and that God, right? Like, you know, if everyone has their own conscience and everyone's heart is so different because our stories are so different, I shouldn't need to be here. I shouldn't need to sing this song, read this book, live this specific way. It should be very much me and this creator. Why do I have to be here? And think of all the people, I had an interview for a podcast for another episode uh, and we discussed what about all the people that are in other parts of the world that don't have access to this kingdom hall and they don't have access reading this book is it just to hell with them exactly what happened we happen to be born into a family that that were witnesses or we yeah. happen to have been at a, a point in our lives where we thought it was a good idea to join because 
the some of the appeal of the religion to people who were not necessarily um, born in is that it has all the answers. So if you're feeling a bit um, at a low point, like is it, if you've lost someone in your family or someone that you love, um, and then along comes this religion that gives you all it's the answers, right in. you know, and, and if you're just feeling a bit vulnerable, then it can seem like a good idea yeah. to join. So, yeah, they'll fill in whatever gap you have going on in your life and make you make themselves seem as if they are the solution to that exactly even if it's like something so ridiculous like you know if you i need a parent for my kids they'll talk up the people in the in the local kingdom hall that are single like they have there's no bar that they will not stoop to (laughs) to make someone feel like the kingdom hall is the answer for it it's sick exactly and I remember during the time when I was that that adult period of my life as a baptized witness, my my one of my um, uh, cousins got got disfellowshipped, and I, and I remember thinking at that point, and I, you know, I had seen some of the stress that he'd, he'd sort of gone through with various things, and I remember thinking, as if God is gonna suddenly now just cut that person off or anyone off, like right. one of my um, good friends um she also got disfellowship during the time that i was an adult witness i you know i never we just carried on as normal um i just i could see how she much she was it was kind of destroying her to try and be a witness and it was like oh my gosh go 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 you know and we we were both there for each other at the the different times when when we left and came back and and whatever and I just remember thinking there is no way that God could see if if a God exists, there is no way that He would look at someone's entire life course, see the way it's played out, mm-hmm. and then and then it's almost like that the witnesses have a God that is like, well, if you don't behave and do exactly what I want, I'm just going to kill you. And yet they yep. call Him a Father. Yeah, a it loving just, Father. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, a loving Father that apparently, if you don't do exactly what He wants, He's going to kill you. So okay. yeah no thanks no second thought no exceptions yeah but i yeah i just i could never come at that and i that's why i never felt that disfellowshipping was scriptural aside from like another thing with that was that like that scripture says anyone calling themselves a brother who does xyz well once you're disfellowshipped you're not called or disassociated you're not calling yourself a brother you you are a part of the world now you're not pretending to be that I can't re- remember the exact scripture, but, but that's one of the ones that they base the whole dis- disfellowshipping thing on. Um, you know, if if someone's calling themselves a brother and they're doing this and doing that, but that's just yeah. Once you're out, you're out. You're you're someone of the nations, and you should just be treated as any normal person should be treated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just at at no point could I see that God would just suddenly cut someone off because he's not living he or she's not living a certain way to please God anymore especially when God's apparently so compassionate and can see every an entire life course this made no sense true they can see he he or she is supposedly um able to see our entire future and it's all that jazz but we also have free will so nonsense um it does make sense um did you have anyone in the congregation or just like in your life that was in the cult that knew that you were 
planning your exit or was it just you kept it to yourself and then told the elders and that was it? So, no, I was pretty open about it. Um, I didn't share it with my my nan until I knew it was happening because she's kind of old school. I knew she'd probably struggle with it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I kept my, my mum pretty well informed. Um, and it's funny because at this point was when my mum and I had the conversation. She said, at the point you got baptised, that's the point where I had to resolve in my mind what I would do if you ever left. Wow. Oh, that's yes. so shitty. Re- resolving in her mind how she would handle it, whether she would still be comfortable having contact with me or whether she would have to cut me off. She was preparing at that point how she may handle that if it ever happened. If and, it ever happened. Yeah, and clearly her resolve was blood's thicker than water. I concur. Yeah. But that's still a really the the fact that you have to question that you know like that like most parents don't have that moment in their kid's life where they make what's supposed to be a great decision like it's not like you know you went to prison you got baptized it's supposed to be one a wonderful moment and in that moment she had to make a decision on when this organization tells me to drop my kid off the face of the earth what am i going to do Am I going to do, do this shunning business or I'm, or am I going to make an exception because this is my child? You know, it's like, you shouldn't have to even have to ask. There shouldn't be a situation where a religion puts you in a position where you have to ask yourself that. Exactly. That's sad. Yeah, that. It's just, it's just horrible. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I guess on the glass half full is that she was prepared. <laughs> my yeah. God. I think because for, for, for her, she, I mean, there's elements of the organization she sort of knows that, she, she takes as part and parcel of it. She obviously believes it's the right thing, but her relationship is more with God than with other people. So she's resolved enough in herself that she's comfortable enough having me still in her life um, and still having her relationship with God. And I, I really respect that. So I, I do just, as well. Yeah. And your brother was not baptized? No, no. So he left at 13, 14. Yeah, he was off. Yeah. Do you think maybe because he did not, maybe that planted the seed in her mind of like, well, I have one kid that didn't commit. There's a possibility she's committing now, but she may not. Maybe that gave her a heads up. Because like my brother and I were both left. Like he was gone by 14 and so was I. Um, by then but we were you know not baptized and that was the other sort of double standard I thought was odd like if you leave and you're not baptized you can still have stuff to do with your family right. once you get baptized it's a big deal if you disassociate or get disfellowshipped you know mm-hmm. so I always always thought that was so odd like you know one of my family members um, my auntie after my cousin got disfellowshipped she was technically not allowed to have anything to do with him but she could have something to do with her daughter who left like me as a teenager and it's like this is so yeah. weird I had I had a cousin that um, left was not baptized and um, by pretty much every rule that Jehovah's Witnesses have she's checked the list on breaking that rule in her her life as she's entitled to do and um, you know I'd see photos on Instagram of my cousin like in my parents living room and they're holding her children that she's had out of wedlock with you know a couple different baby daddies 
no judgment to her on that, that her life choices. But I did a hundred percent judge my parents because I thought if I ever even had one kid out of wedlock and brought them to your home, you wouldn't open the door. So the fact that she's able to take photos and you're bouncing her babies on your leg, it was like the double standard. What's the difference? So you know, sorry, she wasn't baptized? Nope, she was not yeah. baptized. But that's the thing, like you said in, in your initial um, podcast with your story, it's like just because you'd gone under some water in, yeah. in some kind of stadium, yeah. now suddenly there are these invisible rules that yeah. there's, there's so many more implications for you if you do the, you know, in air quotes, yeah. thing, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. Stupid. And I think, I think that I've, I've also, this is back when I was still in the cult, I used to judge people that would um, be a part of like pick and choose what things they, you know, if you have a disfellowshipped kid, you know, you don't, you pretend they don't exist, like they never exist, but they would then say, well, he, you know, so-and-so's graduating from college, so we thought we'd support him in college, or well, so-and-so had a baby, and now that I'm out, and, you know, I have to think about those things of like, you know, I shouldn't have judged so harshly because now that I'm out, I would love for my parents to just pick something that they were okay with and just support that. But my parents are like diehards on the rule. So I don't get that. Like I had a surgery once and they surprised just showed up at the hospital and I was like, oh, wow, you know, but aside from that, no. There's nothing that they bend the rules on on it at all. Wow, that must have been so hard. Like, because like obviously our situations of leaving are quite different. In that you you lost your entire family when you d- decided to leave. Yeah. Uh, and whereas by the time I left, I still, you know, I had talked it through with my mum. My dad's not a witness. I had friends outside oh, of the organisation. So it's very deep, but I knew it would still cause issues. Like there were pe- people who didn't come to to, to to my wedding because I, I was now, and that's the thing that grates as well is that even though I disassociated, they refer to me as if I'm disfellowshipped because to them it's the same thing. And it's like, no, I, I know. <laughs> I find that so frustrating. It's so annoying and I know it's so dumb. And I every, every time I say it, especially to worldly people, when I talk about my status, I think I'm like, I know that it sounds so dumb, to be so hung up on that frustration but I'm like I told them I was leaving why am I disfellowshipped that doesn't make any sense you know I know it's dumb but I can't help be frustrated (laughs) it's like the final injustice that this organization (laughs) is like no I am not standing for that yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's so stupid Um, I did. So your website is called witnessnomore.com. It, it is.com, right? Or is it? Yes. Okay. Um, so on your website, um, also it's like a silly detail, but I don't know, maybe it's a huge detail at the top of your website. You have a dragonfly. Does that mean anything? Ah, yes. I probably will do a bit of a, um, spiel about that at some point. Um, I haven't re like looked into this again for a while since I first chose that but dragonflies live a lot of their life underwater and um, according to to like Native American symbology like their dragonflies actually emerging from the water 
it sort of symbolizes freedom and a rebirth and that kind of thing. And yeah, then they live their lives above the water. So I might have yeah. to go into that again, but I am planning to do a little little spiel on that on, on my um on my website at some point as to why so I definitely need to Google this dragonfly. Who would have thought you know, and yeah. you know what, now that you say it, I couldn't tell you, you know, like butterflies, we know, like caterpillars, cocoon, like we know the whole thing, you know, bees, they're in the hive and then they come. I couldn't begin to tell you what I ever thought dragonflies, like their origin story. Like, I don't know what a baby dragonfly looks like. Like, is it a larva? Like, didn't yeah, know that. Pretty much, um, I think so. But they, yeah, they, they spend the first part of their lives underwater. And to me, wow. that's kind of symbolic of just living your life. Drowning. You know, <laughs> yeah, just sort of swamped by all of this, you know, nonsense of the religion, not really living, like not seeing the sky, not understanding the world. And then the point of coming out of that to me is kind of- um, Beautiful. Of waking up and coming out and seeing the world. And getting okay. it. That's very good. It. That's very interesting. I'm glad I asked. Now I'm, I feel like that's so fitting. Hmm. Yeah. More for me to think about. You have your posts about the JW cycle of control, and then you also have the posts that kind of branches off from it that talks about the JW matrix of impacts, um, which I definitely recommend our listeners to look at because it's so informative and it's so detailed and um, as the underlining theme of this podcast, it's also extremely relatable. Like there's so it's, you're putting to words things that I think sometimes I struggle to find the words, which is the irony of me having a podcast is that I struggle a lot to find the words to embody my feelings or my experiences or like how people get stuck. There's so much more to it. So she has, um, five different steps to it. And, um, one of it one of them that I really uh, resonated with me was um, number two, which is identity suppression, which oh, I could go on for days about <laughs> the just the if if not just the during, like when I was there, um, not to say that I was blind to it, but once I left, the realization that I had no fucking clue who I was. And to this day, I mean, no clue. And and part of me is like, you know, I think initially when I left, I thought it was more of like a sheltered thing. Like you don't know certain things because those opportunities were never given to you to find out. Like, what's your favorite drink at the bar? Well, you didn't go club hopping. So how would you know? But it was more than that. And as I went to therapy and as time has gone on, I find more and more that it all comes back to just not having the right to an opinion, the right to a choice, the right to an individual uh, stances on things. Everything is unified into bullshit. I mean, there's no political stance. So even just learning, who do I want to vote for? We, you know, in the US, we've had some very, very, very important things that we've had to vote on in the last, like, eight or so years and you know I left nine years ago so it was very rapidly in my face for example the politics of like well what's your stance on this what's your stance on that well who are you voting for and I was like I don't even know what outfit I'm allowed to wear right now 
Mm. I can't be responsible to decide whether I'm voting for this person or that person because I don't even know who I am. So that one was like huge. But how did you how did you start on that those blog posts and those charts with the charts are impeccable as well. How did you get into that? Firstly, thanks for that. Um, I I started so I also a little over 12 months ago started uh, getting some counseling because I just kept feeling that there's things I'm not working out on my own and I just yeah. I just need some help here. I'm I'm sort of struggling with the same issues over and over again and I thought I just need someone to help me sift through some of this stuff. Which bits are because of me? Which bits are because of things I've absorbed from my family or other people? Which bits are from hanging over from the religion that I just haven't quite sorted out yet? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, my, my, my counsellor sort of helped help me work through some of that and see the potentially issue number one was that you've never actually worked out, you've never had that chance to work out who you are as a person, like you sort of trying to, you know, do what you can in your relationship. We've got stepkids now, you're trying to do what you can there, you're trying to uh, do everything at work, but you're trying to do all this for your family as well but at the same time you're trying to do all of this but you don't really know who you are so that's why things can get confusing and you find it hard to make the right call or know what decision to make because you haven't actually taken that time after the total suppression of the, the religion to actually work out who you are and what you want and what your own values are yeah outside of the religion because for so long we, it will it was just forced upon us you think this you value this you, you are this. And one of the, the key things that really resonated with me when my counsellor said this, we were talking about something else and he said, I think it was a situation where I was feeling like, you know, I, I need to be able to say this or say that. And he said, how can you stick up for someone who doesn't exist? I don't even have an answer for that. <laughs> In the religion, you don't exist as an individual person. Yeah. And it takes time to really work out who you are to the point where you're prepared to back yourself and say right no this is what I think and yeah. these are my boundaries and this is where I'm prepared to go and this is where I'm because we didn't the religion just poked their tentacles into every portion of our lives and so we didn't necessarily have boundaries or any point where we could say no and to me that yeah that that really resonated and then gradually I started to piece things together and a big a thing for me coming out in, in the early days before I'd actually you know sort of work up in inverted commas oh no big fun it was kind of after that and I was trying to piece together well what things cause what why am I like this and I found there was just not a lot of anything online specific to us so a bit like you like with your your podcast is a place for us I I wanted to make some resources that were for us specifically because when I was looking at various other recovering from religion things I didn't find it super helpful yeah there's a lot of things that are not applicable to our situation good and bad like some things are extreme where we don't go through that and then some things are like sugar-coated and you're like man I wish that's all that happened to me they just yeah. it doesn't apply yeah and I was like I just feel like we're missing some resources that can help us make those connections between what our experience was the like that the, the matrix of impacts you know so it's 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 the the class of teaching you know so a fear-based teaching or a identity suppression based teaching what the cause of the effect yeah and sort of examples so that then you can go oh 
that was a case of them suppressing my identity when they say you need to put the kingdom first because it, it doesn't allow me to to think of anything for myself or what I might like because it's all about the religion and then the purpose it serves the organization you know keeps you under control keeps you doing their work and then the impacts though that this is not necessarily for everyone but may have on 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 a lot of us who've, who've had this kind of experience I just wanted to make those connections um, well, after I'd made those connections, I wanted to document it and, and just yeah. have it as a resource for, for anyone else who was feeling a bit similar to me. Like we need some specific information to help us make those connections between our experience, like the experience of being a witness, how it may have affected us and what we can then do to try and recover from that. Yeah, now. Yeah. When I was reading that one the section about the identity suppression, um, it made me flash back to, as I briefly mentioned in um, my stories episode, about my mom having a brain aneurysm and I was 20. And a, for a lot of people, um, she is the the classic Jehovah's Witness success, success story. Um, she went on and went to several assemblies and conventions and shared her story because, of course, she didn't accept blood, which is asinine for anyone that's still physically in and that's listening to this episode it is insane don't do that um she is a i can't remember the specific uh statistics because obviously this was several years ago 11 years ago but um the doctor told us that it was like something like a 0.3 percent chance of success so yes she is alive and she's fully functioning and she can drive and she continued her job afterwards and she can talk and write and yay but reality is that is a one-off situation she is it is not jehovah that saved her life it was extremely stupid to not accept blood when her skull was cut open she had a brain bleed and no blood was going back into her body but a lot of people both during as my mom like you know woke up from her coma as she was in physical therapy as she was going to the convention people looked at her story and thought let me make sure I fill out that uh, health proxy card because so and so survived it and she's perfectly fine I at 20 yeah I mean I get goosebumps thinking about it to this day at 20 years old I said how how does this church get to decide this is this is terrifying this is not normal and and I think everything I was feeling then that I couldn't place, I mean, that's when I, that at 20, that's when I started actively plotting my exit. So it did not, it did not make me stronger as a Jehovah's Witness. It made me weaker because I was like, eh. but I think what I couldn't verbalize then was identity suppression was my once I left and I found out what my blood type was and I got to decide at what point I would want to be unplugged from machine and whether I wanted a blood transfusion or not or how I felt about uh abortions if I had a medical emergency and in one of the options was to abort a baby to save my life all these things that I never had a choice in because yeah. it is all just in detail decided for you. I mean, the amount of pamphlets and videos we were that were shoved down our throat and we weren't talking about like, hey, don't get a tattoo. We were talking about life-saving modern medicine options and even those things, no choice, none. Exactly. 
And I'm struggling even as I think now to think of something that you actually have active, full autonomy about when you're a Jehovah's Witness. And I really can't think of it. No, I, I don't think there's many areas at all, which, which is why you never actually learn who the hell you are or what you even like or... No. Yeah, everything is dictated to you. Or even who you like, because your friendships yeah. can't be worldly. They have to be your, your in, in Jehovah's Witnesses. And who are you really? I mean, outside of the assemblies and conventions, you only have the people in your congregation or local congregations. Who can you marry? Still narrows your options down. So even if you have a little bit of freedom, freedom of like you can choose your spouse, it's not like we do arranged marriages here, but your options are super narrowed down. It's like, exactly. you know, your the your soulmate might be in a foreign country, but you're not going to meet them because <laughs> you're here. You know, every aspect is is highly controlled, and it's something I had just n- never realized, despite living it most of my life. And it just took mm-hmm. years to actually realize. You know, that's why I was struggling with so much of it. I was struggling with being controlled, but I didn't actually know that I was being controlled. That's all and, you know. It's like when when we leave though it it can actually take a while for all of those shackles to fall off and be like oh mm-hmm. alien um i've actually never thought about what i think about life on another planet or yet. <laughs> yeah you, you just never thought about these things any for any um, at any time earlier because you you were told either it's not important you know worrying about whether there's aliens is not useful to the organization so you just that's kind of shut down everything's about focusing on what you need to be a good witness to to serve god which is really the organization don't even get the time to develop opinions on anything unless it's relevant to the organization and yeah. it can just take a while for all of those different facets of life to come out and go well, yeah, abortion. What 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 are my thoughts on that? If I had to take a vote, what what would it be? Yeah. It's, it's it's very much how I, I became, even though it wasn't necessarily my parents doing that, but just being in the religion. Whenever I might share a thought, or there there was it's coming in in an upcoming um, post actually, there was a time I was in a car group and I was just sharing something that I'd learnt it in, in social psychology, and the 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 sisters are like, what? when would you even use that? And I'm like, every day. Because they were just so dismissive of learning anything outside of the religion or thinking that any of it could be useful. Oh, poor things. It's just like, unless you were talking about the religion or anything that was to do with that, it was pointless. And so you don't learn to develop interests outside of the religion. You don't learn to know what you might have been interested in if the religion was never part of your life. Like Hobbies, all those, yeah. yeah. All those formative years when, when we're kids and we should be allowed to explore and work out what we're interested in. And we're dream. And witnessing. And, and every every thought that's not relevant to that is kind of squashed. And even if you, you might have an interest, it still has to fit in or be yeah. in alignment. Useful for them. Things. Yes, yeah. I wonder, you know, we were talking about earlier you know, like, what's the point of all this door-to-door witnessing? I wonder if it's just busy work. Oh, it is. Yeah, it keeps you on a treadmill. And I learned later, um, you know, that is something that cults do. They, they try and keep you busy with all the other work to do with them so that you don't have time to think for yourself, which is why sometimes when you do have a break, go on a holiday, move state. Like, I remember my mum saying, this is actually while we, I, w- I was still... Um, 
a witness. She said the religion actually lose the, the organization. Sorry, she said the organization loses a lot of people when they move state. And I said, oh, hmm. why? And she said, you know, people get out of routine and find it hard to go back to the religion. I know now what it really was. People move, they have a disruption, they start to have that break from all the busy work, from being kept on their little treadmill of meetings and witnessing, and they might even start to think for themselves and then don't actually go back. Yeah. Now that you say that, I think of all the um, the family. My parents really loved traveling and um, brought us kids and stuff. And even when we were on vacations, went to the Kingdom Hall, um we went to i don't remember but we went to like their on site like whatever wherever we were we went to their printing location in whatever country we were in and although yes very interesting i mean that i would go to a dictionary printing site in mexico or france i mean it, it still would be interesting to me especially as a kid but when i think of that now yeah it's like we, there was never a break you know no we weren't going not every time did we go door to door witnessing when we were visiting other congregations on vacations. Um, but it was either we were doing unassigned territory. So like the whole vacation really isn't a vacation. It's a trip for Jehovah. Or if it was a family vacation, there was still some sort of God I can't miss the meeting though. You know, and if we were on a cruise ship, we, it, we would still have like our family, you know, imitating the Sunday meeting, you know, yeah. because we couldn't get to the Kingdom Hall and we couldn't, you know, this predates like Zoom and Skype and all that jazz. But yeah, yeah there was never, a br- man, <laughs> my eyes are being, <laughs> every time I have an interview with, with you guys, I always, I'm like, I just remembered something else, like good or bad, <laughs> I, it makes me remember. Also, you were mentioning that you went to therapy and the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score is a book that uh, my therapist, so many years ago referred to me did I read it no it's on my Kindle as all the books that have been recommended it's on my Kindle but um she's I could be wrong but I want to say that that was recommended to me when we were discussing like uh just like childhood trauma uh and like my lack of relationship with my mother and you know all of her things that she did and then once I got over like it was building blocks as therapy is. So it's like first acknowledging that my mother was abusive by just definition, you know, and then acknowledging that I was currently actively in an abusive relationship. Now that we've acknowledged like putting the word to what it is, now let's also acknowledge that you grew up in a cult. And that's really when that language got brought into my life, which was like 2015 or 2016. Um, And I'm pretty certain that was a therapist that recommended that book just about, it never goes away. Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing how it actually manifests in in your body in various symptoms. And it was sort of helpful to kind of pick through. I think I've popped some of it in, in one of my, my posts there. It might have been the recovery priority one about getting to know yourself. It might have been in there that I referenced that. Um, because, yeah, there are certain physical symptoms that, that manifest when you've been um, through a certain amount of trauma and look no one's had a perfect childhood it's it's not right. everyone's probably got some you know something that is a little bit traumatic from their childhood but whatever we have gone through as as, as individuals with our different backgrounds as witnesses we've all shared a very common experience separate to whatever our individual experience like your, your mum you know had had her particular impacts 
on you. We've all had different, we've all got different um, family makeups and backgrounds, but despite all of that, we've shared that common experience and that our childhood was kind of hijacked and it was all about life and death. You know, you've got to get to the meetings, you've got mm. to please God, you know, yeah. you've got to do the right thing or you're going to die at Armageddon. Like, you know, the my book of Bible stories and seeing Jezebel being oh. thrown out of the tower and, yeah. you know, and that's just normalized for us. But then it can take a little while to realize, you know, imagine what it would have been like if we had a childhood that didn't have that additional stressor on it in that everything was life and death and you had to please God or he's going to kill you at Armageddon. Like if you just had love and support and just, just the general things that kids need to thrive. And you can see that there's a, a common theme there in that that can be reasonably traumatic that for, 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 for any child to be raised in that kind of warlike environment. Like you're you're literally playing into this battle of universal sovereignty every day, even if you just have a bit of birthday cake at school, you know, it's a big deal. So yeah, that that and that can manifest in, in, in different ways for us. Maybe some people not so much, but for others, yeah, it can lead to some stress and anxiety and various symptoms that come out later in life yeah it's kind of like and this is a common thing that comes up with everyone I talk to and it's I went through it my little sister went through it um, I had an older cousin that um, never was baptized but uh, was the first experience I had with someone that left the cult when I was really little but everyone has that same moment that you said where you're like if I'm gonna die in arm again so be it like the yeah. fact that that you even had to come to terms it's almost like um borderlining on like coming to terms with suicide or something because you're like yeah i'm probably gonna die but so what like you should never at any point get to a point where you shrug at the idea of your death yeah because that's not so right even, yeah like that's that's the least worst yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's of no consequence at that point because you're like, well, I just can't live the way that it's going to take for me to avoid that so it's just not worth it you know yeah so <laughs> this kind of yeah. oh yeah th that's the equivalent of saying that death would be better than staying here another day or another year exactly harsh I worked for several years with a wonderful chiropractor um, and now I'm like die hard. I go to a chiropractor every two weeks um, and from working with him and, you know, building such a personal relationship with him, I was able to tell him like, this is my history. This is what happened to me and yada, yada. And he was like, honestly, Chef, like any doctor would look at your body and know that it's not been good for you. Yeah. And also I feel like an element of accepting it and not beating yourself up even further because of yeah. it. As, oh, how dare I be so anxious? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Adding to it. <laughs> yes, yeah. This 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 is me. I, I I'm 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 similar in that I, I've had um you know, I've got some various I've I've only realized in the last few years I'm a little bit the same. I am a little bit on the anxious side and so trying to find strategies to manage that. But it sort of accepting that this is this is how we are. Try not to beat ourselves up to it. Fight up too much about it. Finding ways to just to manage it. And there was, was a little saying I heard just recently. One of my guilty pleasures is watching um, sort of be, um, body language things on YouTube and behavioural. Oh, nice! Because I just I find it fascinating because I think you know over the um, I've sort of missed some of those cues over the years and I, I find it interesting to see it broken down by experts but 
his, his name's Chase Hughes and, and it's on a channel called The Behaviour Panel and, and um, he, he shared this little snippet a couple of months ago and I found it so helpful. Something he, he shares with his, like people that he works with, um, if they're under anxiety provoking situations like courtrooms or whatever, he'll say to them, you being comfortable will not put you in any more danger. You feeling comfortable will not put you in any more danger. The reason we feel tense and anxious is because our amygdala is firing off. You're in a fight and flight situation. You need to do something. Whereas in our modern world, probably we're not actually in a life and death situation. We just think we are. Like you might be in a, in, so for example, someone, take that example, someone in a courtroom. Situation's not gonna be made better by you being anxious. Right, yeah. You're not gonna be suddenly in any more danger because comfortable odds are the damage is already done whether you did it or you did (laughs) i think of it in terms of you know if i've had to do some kind of presentation or something at work it's like well me feeling comfortable is not going to make this situation worse it's not going to put it's i'm not going to be in any more danger just by feeling comfortable so allow myself to feel comfortable whatever's going to happen is going to happen me getting stressed about it is not going to make it any different you know so i may as well feel comfortable also you have a recovery toolkit which kind of branches off the uh the cycle and the impacts um post that you have as well is that something that you think helps people that are physically in more or would help people that are already out or do you not, do you think it's across the board it would help anyone well i guess my target audience so to speak is, is people who've left um uh-huh. it, because my tagline at the top is learning to live after leaving the witnesses. Um, exactly. If it reaches anyone who's in, that that's absolutely fantastic. If it helps anyone who's in, then, because I guess it could help someone who's in to make those connections, be like, oh I my God, so. I'm in a high control group. Oh crap. Um, like I had never realized until I'd been out for years. So um, yeah, but I guess the, 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 the my intent of creating the website was for people who, who have left um, and are just trying to work out, okay, well, how do I even start to create a life for myself? Where do I even start? And so that's why the recovery toolkit, like it's, it sort of addresses each of the five aspects of the, the you know, the, the cycle of control and the and same with, with the matrix. So it's the fear, the identity, suppression, the reliance, getting over the, the compliance and the cultural aspects and then finding a new system of rewards. Like for so long, our rewards were a clean conscience, doing the right thing by God, getting privileges in the organisation. And, and when you've been part of this universal battle of good and evil, when you leave, it can, everything might, might be a bit numb because things don't really seem to have much point. It's like, well, previously I was part of this battle where every, in my little, every little move mattered to the almighty God. Right. Whether I eat this bit of cake or whether I go witnessing matters to this army of angels. And now it's like, it's just me looking and just, deciding how I'm going to live and it can take a while to work out who you are as a person what your own values are how you want to spend your time um so that's why a lot of my actual like the the posts themselves are sort of working through a lot of those things and trying to help you know just provide some some resources and some some thinking points to get people on, on the road to recovery yeah and working out who they are and what they want as a person for themselves not 
anyone telling them what's right for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I do hope for people that are so physically in um, that they still look at it because let's be honest, like if you're listening to a podcast that <laughs> talks the way we talk and if you are emailing me, um, et cetera, et cetera, like you're already questioning it. And I think like you should feed, I always say this in the emails when I talk to them, like feed that person, that little voice that's questioning what the hell's going on because you know <laughs> the window's being cracked and like you might have a lot of other hurdles and like things that you have to weigh out and things you have to like plot and plan before you make like your big exodus like but the more knowledge that you see that are that's honest and that is logical and that you can prove or disprove it helps you feel like you know any sort of sacrifice or big thing that's going to happen by leaving feels maybe you feel a little bit better maybe it doesn't equate and may not feel great but you feel a little bit better you're like well I'm not doing all this work for nothing exactly that's a life I can live a whole new life yeah Um, what I'm seeing right now is not it but that's why I really take my hat off to you and people like you who because it's been nearly 10 years there were much fewer resources around at that point and you also left like with with n- not really much going on outside of the religion at all like it was no. a, that must have been like, in your story like jumping off a cliff you know it's just I <laughs> take my head off to that I don't know that girl. That's what's so funny about it. I mean, I said this briefly in the intro and um, I wasn't joking. Sometimes I I think back to her. I sometimes it's hard to imagine that that was me because I feel like in a lot of ways, I am a scaredy cat like today. (laughs) And it does me and it is hard for me to like commit to which vacuum cleaner do I want to buy? Because I'm like, well, let me let, let me do more research, more research. And I research everything, my cat food, every single thing. I will be on Pinterest and Google for days about it. And back then to make such a huge pivotal decision that I'm still paying, you know, the cost for, I didn't put that much research into it. It was pretty much, I feel like that, speaks volumes on how much I was really already mentally out and didn't know it yet because it didn't take much researching it took like maybe three articles that I found in like the public library that wasn't religious based it was more like history based and that was enough for me to say the whole thing's bullshit I'm out like you know it was it was things like you know the health proxy with my mom it was watching other people you know friends of mine that um I do plan on talking about this on episode, like the, the experience not with watching people leave, but my experience of watching people come back. And that also was very big. I don't know how, if you had that experience of, you saw someone get disfellowship or disassociate or be inactive and watching them come back from the world and looking at them and realizing like, you did not come back for the right reasons. You came back because you miss your mom, you miss your brother, you miss your friends, you or they missed me. Like if I was one of their relatives or friends, like you came back for me. And I knew my whole life that is not why you're supposed to be coming back. You're exactly. supposed to be coming back because you are drinking the Kool-Aid, good or bad, you're committed to this nonsense. And 
that was never the reason it was all it, it and i watch people bring kind of like what happened with you where they would leave for someone that they married um and they'd bring that poor soul back with Ugh. them <laughs> and it's like no what are you doing you know <laughs> even worse if they had kids it's like no now you're repeating the, the trauma you're not breaking the cycle like get the hell out of here and i think yeah. all those were not huge you know it's like the harry potter thing when i was 10 they're not huge reasons they were just enough for crazy 22 year old me to be like that's enough i'm done now yeah. i would need way more i would i'm i'm guess i guess i'm glad that i was that i don't know brave i don't know because i'm not that girl now i think i think it would take me a lot more to do to do something like that oh, i don't know God. that girl yeah. <laughs> good for her yeah. I just felt disfellowshipping was just emotional blackmail. It really was. Um, yeah, yeah I, I had a it works though. It works. It does. Something that really struck me though, because um, a friend of mine, she got disfellowshipped um, during those times that, that I was in and then she came back. And the thing that struck both of us was that she had been flogging herself. She was going to more meetings than me, even though she was disfellowshipped and she was in a different state at Oh, this to point. prove herself? Yeah, so she was like proving herself so that she could get reinstated and she was doing, you know, more than I was. And then she got rejected like three times. When she finally got reinstated, both of us were like, this just seems like bullshit. She's the same person. And now that same meeting that she was reinstated, everyone's all over her like a rash. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> It's just ridiculous. And and I knew then if she never comes to an, I, I bet she'll never come to another meeting again. And she never did. Good for her. Yeah, she got reinstated and then she was like, screw this. Because we were both like, this is ridiculous. You are the same person. And just because so-and-so says you're reinstated, apparently now everyone can be all lovey-dovey. It just was so <laughs> arbitrary and so ridiculous. And we were like, yeah, disfellowshipping is just, I just yeah. serve. It's any... definitely manipulation for sure. But yeah. they've found something that works and they're, I, I, I don't, I struggle saying like extreme words like hate or never. So I don't want to say they'll never change um, because they've been changing so much. Even in the nine years I've been gone, there's so many things yeah. that are different about the organization, but um I think that that's one thing that they'll probably stick to because maybe they'll loosen up on like the direction to shun as harshly, but I think that they're still going to stick to it because ultimately it's, like I said, all the people, I'm going to take a while. I shouldn't speak on other people, but I'm going to just say, I think all the people I know that worked really hard to get reinstated it wasn't because they felt really sorry that they fucked up or even that they believed that they fucked up. I, they all just, I felt like it was okay. This is the thing we got to do. And then we do it. Yeah, yeah. I want to see my mom. I wanted to see my dad. And, and I know that other congregations and other families like yourself don't do it as harshly as like my family or my congregation does it. But particularly when you have a congregation like mine and you have a family like mine where there is next to no exceptions made I truly I don't know if I mentioned this in another episode but I truly don't believe that there would have been any communication 
if my dad did not get diagnosed with ALS, if he did not deteriorate the way he did, I think to this day, we wouldn't have exchanged any words with each other. I, it, the only reason was, well, this is a disease that has no cure. So let's give, and I'm appreciative that they even did that because I really, if you had told me before the diagnosis, like, oh, what, what, what do you think will happen if that, if something horrible would happen to your parents? Do you think they'd reach out? I would have told you no, because they're very, no bending the rules, but it's such, say it again, such bullshit. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. It's just a, a method of control because yeah. they know it, it's fear. It keeps people in because they don't want to be kicked out. It's just, it's a method that the organization uses to control its members. And yep. I, I can't see them, as you say, I can't see them ever letting that go because no. if that, like that's one of the key reasons that keeps people towing the line. Is the fear of getting kicked out. Yep. yep. Yes. And losing the people that they care about. Exactly. Yeah. I, or even, you know, we, we touching back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode is um, that there's no low, there's nothing too low for them to stoop to. I also think that part of the shunning and then, you know, with my dad's situation, which is not unique, there's plenty of people that get sick and pass away, unfortunately. Um, they put those two things together, right? Like the whole time that he, from diagnosed to passing away, it was very much like me and my little sister, she's also out of um, the cult. Very much a lot of pressure on us of, don't you want to see your dad again? Don't you want to see your dad again? And I never, of course, never experienced anything. I'm very fortunate to say that other than my dad, I've never lost anyone um, to death. And so I'd never experienced that until then. And I was like, oh, these motherfuckers have no decency. Nobody no. out in, if you went to even a Catholic, which is very, very devout, and they have their songs and their dances and everything. Um, if you went to any other church for a funeral um, or had a visit by someone that knew your parent was sick, they would say, I'll pray for you. They might give you like a scripture that, helps them when their grandparent passed away or their daughter passed away and that's about it yeah and nope not with Jehovah's witnesses they go right for the jugular with well he's gonna die and he'd sure like to have his other daughters there don't you want to see your dad again and it was like fuck off like this is not the time <laughs> like at all read the room I mean literally in the hospital room the day he passed away I was like this is I have nothing to lose I'll fight everybody in this place like <laughs> get away from me like it was they have no no human decency no empathy just how can we recruit yeah how can we use this to recruit you back to make you do all this nonsense to get back in it's so manipulative it's yeah. funny this exact aspect is something I touched on in my most recent post that I put up about a week ago about learning learning to live by rethinking death and the way the, the witness organization. Yes. I send that to my sister. Oh, just It just hijacks the meaning of death, N- not just to minimize it and make you think, oh, you know, you don't Don't come back. Yeah. You'll be fine. But it's used as a, it's both minimized and exploited at the same time. So yeah. it's exploited in that witness funerals are not about the witness. Any bereavement is used, as you said, to just to just shamelessly try and swoop in on people's grief and try and recruit people. Mm-hmm. 
and you never actually get a chance to step back and think about the real meaning of death because it's just all about this well so-and-so wants you to come back you need to it's just pressure to come back and it's not about that person it's not about your feelings of grief and loss for that person it's just about the religion and and using the tool to manipulate you to to get back in it's yeah that opening where they talk about the person for two seconds and then the rest is just talking about jehovah and the bible like most most funerals you have a survived by so and so and this is what this person loved and liked i mean specifically for my situation the the brother that did my dad's was one of his closest friends and he did impeccable and i didn't stay for it because i assumed that it would end up as all other jehovah's witness funerals are and it would just be preached and i would feel all eyes on me in the room and i just absolutely not so i watched it over zoom and um i was like man that was surprising because I was totally expecting the classic Jehovah's Witness funeral of let's use this as a time to talk about Jehovah instead of the person and it's disgusting it really is I'm I'm very glad for you and for your your dad is that your 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 stepdad yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I'm really glad that they were at least gave him a decent um yeah I wish that 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 was more common and that wasn't unique how are all the Jehovah's Witnesses handling death? Because they're not even allowed to really, really cry it out. Yeah, I remember there's that scripture on, oh, so-and-so lost some sons and they fell into the ground and he was told off for grieving them. You know, it's almost like this was some Bible story. And um, it's, yeah, Witnesses are... There, there is almost a, a kibosh on how long it's appropriate, you know, to, yeah. to grieve. Because you're going to see them again, so don't let yourself get too down about it. But and everyone, Armageddon's right around the corner, so you could be seeing them next week. Yeah, and they're probably more guaranteed to make it through than you. So excellent. Um, so yep. it's, it's it, it definitely. I think everyone would hand would handle it differently. Uh, some, you know, I guess for some people, it might take a while before they really work out how they feel about death. Because for so long we've been told it's both simultaneously the worst thing that can happen, but also it's also not a big deal. Because if you upset God to the point where you never get resurrected, that's like the worst thing. That's like the ultimate failure. Like that's that's kind of why in some ways you you stay in. But at the same time, it's just this, what's the word for it? A dichotomy or a paradox or something. It's like, Someone yeah. you love, it's no big deal. You'll see them again. Don't grieve. But if if you grieve the spirit or, you know, that, that saying, whereas if you do the wrong thing when you know about the right thing, then you'll never get a resurrection. That's like the yeah. ultimate in, in, in failure. So, yeah, I think it can just take a while to work through all of that crap and decide for yourself how you feel or what you even think may or may not happen after someone dies you might like there might be plenty of witnesses who still or who have left or who still have um certain beliefs about what may happen and that that can be comforting and so that that might save them from that total bottoming out of, of grief because there are plenty of people who are not witnesses who believe that you know like the, the, as we know the queen recently passed away and you hear a lot of people saying well she's with prince philip now you know there's a lot of people that still have those kind of comforting thoughts, but they don't necessarily have the additional the additional JW distortions with it, you know. 
um, in terms of it being minimised and in terms of it being used as that exploitative recruitment tool and also seeing death as as a way that you have failed if you you know in in that scenario that you never get resurrected you know because for like you were saying before people who have not been brought up this way they've always known they're going to die whereas for us we're kind of only just realizing that now oh we are actually going to die yeah you know it's now exactly so it, it can take a while to just work out i think how we feel about it what we think even happens um yeah just get over all of that indoctrination <laughs> yeah <laughs> my last question for you um is what advice would you give people that used to be in your situation slash maybe someone that is still physically in now do you have any advice that you'd give to the listeners Ooh. Oh, it's, it's hard because if there are people that are in listening oh just get your ducks in a row before you leave because you you want to make it a successful transition and also just not sugarcoating it. it leaving is difficult. There's no sugarcoating that. A lot of challenges come with leaving, regardless of the situation. Like your, your leaving situation was very different to mine, but we both had different challenges that we had to face. Yeah. But it is absolutely worth it, no matter what age you are. Living your life for you, finding out who you are, it's more than worth any of the the difficulties and and struggles that you might face from actually leaving but also once once you've left not feeling afraid or ashamed to get a bit of help because it it, it's a lot that you need to do to pull your life together and some people might make that i don't want to speak for everyone some people might make that transition relatively easily they might have other support systems but for a lot of us i feel that there's there's a fair bit of there's a fair bit to work through to work out who we are what we want in our lives what makes us happy, how to be happy even when things are going a bit crap because we don't have that scapegoat anymore of everything that's bad is caused by Satan. Sometimes things just go bad and you just have to deal with it, you know. And yeah, so not being afraid to get some help but also not not being afraid to leave because it would be the best thing that you can ever do. But just make sure you you get your ducks in a row before you you make that jump because as you, as you said as well, it, it is a jump and there's often no going back, so do your best to make it a smooth transition for yourself as possible.